Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Hey, I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show, Instagram show, and TikTok show, and eventually YouTube show where uh, I basically, um, oh, no sound. Oh, give me just a second here. Make sure we're good to go. Uh, people on Instagram, can you hear me? Give me a comment there. We got one person saying there's no sound. Um, I had better check on Facebook real quick, guys. Let me just make sure that we are all fired up, ready to go before we jump into this thing. This is going to be an awesome show. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, looks like we got everybody else. All right, we're good to go on Instagram. Make me nervous jumping on saying there's no sound because we got to connect all these different platforms. We got a couple iPhones, we got a Surface tablet, we got everything else. So, um, I'm going to just fire up Facebook here just to make sure before we just blast this off into the ether. Give me just a second. Should be down to a science, but just like virtual meetings, every time you switch from Teams to Zoom to Google Meet, all the audio and video gets reset. So we're just going to make sure here. All right, there we go. We are good to go. <clears throat> all right, everybody. All right, so I am Nick Slavic. I am the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, uh, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show. Uh, we are on show number 360, which means, and if I do my math right, four more shows. This is the seventh year anniversary of me never missing a week uh, of this show. Uh, seven years of basically broadcasting live uh, of the life of a paint business entrepreneur, master craftsperson, and somebody who is ultimately curious about this whole thing here. So um, today is a really awesome show. We're going to get through some um, uh, house, housekeeping here. Uh, and then it's an AMA, ask me anything. So if you guys got a burning question, a topic you want to discuss, anything else, you let, let it go here. Uh, put it down in the comments anywhere. I'll be scrolling through TikTok, through Instagram, and through Facebook to see all that stuff. Um, I do have a handy dandy spreadsheet already pulled up because I have a thought experiment about pricing a large project that I want to go through with you if we have the time. But that spreadsheet is up in case we need to do any other thought experiments here as well, too. So um, quickly, on Monday, I'll be flying down to Orlando, Florida to meet my good friend Tanner and a whole bunch of other people. And we're going to be kicking off the Gathering of Florida Painters. Uh, Benjamin Moore is underwriting the event. We're going to Top Golf. It's going to be education, uh, some master's classes uh, for me. There's going to be some education from Tanner, and there is a whole bunch of people that are going to be down here. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, and then I go right from Orlando uh, to Boston area, and then we'll be doing a Sherwin Williams Pro Show there. We'll all be giving master's classes all day, and then the next day, uh, excuse me, Wednesday will be the uh, Boston area Sherwin Williams Pro Show. And then uh, Thursday will be the Rhode Island area pro show. So uh, I'm going to be hooking up with a bunch of people that you guys know and love uh, from Facebook and Instagram there. It's going to be great days of learning. Uh, and then Friday, I fly home. So it's going to be an absolutely awesome week. Um, looking forward to seeing everybody out there. These master's classes are just awesome. And I do appreciate you all. Now, 
we've kind of been waffling. People have been saying, hey, when is Ask a Painter live? Is it Friday? Is it Saturday? Here's the deal, folks. Uh, this is my little pirate ship and I'll do whatever I want with it. And here's the deal. <laughs> um, I typically do Saturday mornings because the viewership goes way up, right? You guys are all kind of waking up, having breakfast, getting the kids uh, set. You open up your phone and here I am on a Saturday morning. People are engaged. You're not running off to work. You're not thinking about the day's thing. And I love that. I love that. I love all of this um, interaction that we have. But also, um, spiritually, I'd like some days off. Uh, so uh, in the summer, when it's beautiful, I want to hang out with my kids, snuggle in bed, wander around the property, whatever. Uh, I switch this show to Fridays uh, just so I can compress my week so I can have two full days out here on the farm with my kids. Today, it is snowing. There's just like snow on the ground. It's uh, gray. It's gloomy. It's cold. There's snow. So we moved it to Saturday. There's no big rush to get outside. I'm probably going to have to get the chainsaws out and uh, start cutting some firewood today, but That'll be for later. I'm just going to take them more in here with you guys, and then we will we will move on with our day. So um, any question, any topic you guys want, we're good to go. Um, there's been a lot of great discussions on uh, not only the gathering of Minnesota painters, but also the um, uh, like Tanner Mullins group, Corey Leister's Facebook group, things like that. Uh, the, the discussions are heating up here uh, uh, about pricing and leads and marketing, which is really interesting because when we oversimplify our entire world, I always think of there's two main problems we need to solve as business owners, which is workforce and projects to work on, right? So basically your labor force to get the work done and your jobs, where do you find all the jobs? And I am fully, um, I am fully convinced that we are now, we have tipped that teeter totter uh, from there's no good people out there to we're really interested in finding jobs. I think it's um, in the economy, uh, you know, when it filters down to us, it's either going to be hard to find labor or it's going to be hard to find projects. And I think we're entering into an era now where it will be harder to find projects. Um, data points and feelings for you guys are I'm getting a ton of applicants through my website for people looking for uh, work more than normal. Um, the cost of acquisition is up. So uh, it costs more for a lead right now. Uh, than it did a year ago, even with the same channels. And also the, the entire conversation on the Facebook groups are flipping now from where's all the good people to I'm dead in the water. I got no jobs. I got gaps in the schedule. How do you lead or how do you market? How do you get leads? Things like that. So it's a really interesting thing to flip. And I think it's a I think it's a microcosm. It, it's certainly anecdotal, but uh, there's a lot of it. And so, all right, let's start walking through some questions here. Ronnie Santos. Hey, Ronnie, how you doing? Ronnie gave me a set of these mugs here. I love Abu Dhabi. And on this one, it's got the camel here. So I'm just having a little morning coffee here. Um, Ronnie from the desert over these years, what have you learned the most in terms of focus of consistency of sharing your trade over the social media? Sometimes I remember you mentioned on how commitment was required to handle the whole thing. Yeah. So um, here's the deal. Uh, I don't for a lot of years, people have said like, hey, it's been almost seven years of going live weekly, right? And I and I post a bunch during the week and things like that. And people are like, well, why do you do this? Uh, the simple answer is I just feel the urge to do it. Uh, after joining the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, I did realize that there is actually a name for this. It's called servant leadership. And there's some um, there's a subset of people who are master craftspeople, business owners, things like that, who absolutely feel the biological urge to collaborate with other people, share information because it makes you better, 
right? An open and honest uh, relationship with other people about sharing best practices, um, the highs and the lows and learning from each other is a biological urge. And I did not have that a while ago. And I think I've actually changed. So it is actually called servant leadership. I have the urge to do this thing. And if people watched it or not, I would be sharing as well anyway. Um, yeah, so I did a special show on social media last week. Sherwin-Williams actually has a pretty good resource online for this. And the, the, the crux of it is a very unsatisfying conversation, which is, well, how, what is the best practice for this sort of thing, right? Uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from the word influencer because that has connotations of young people doing TikTok dances. And that is not me. I mean, we talk about the science of oil primer and stuff, but you, you, you have to tread lightly on that word. It has connotations, but you are an influencer at some point. And the best practice of that um, is to be genuine, uh, to be consistent. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And don't let perfection stand in the way of really, really good. Um, any, I mean, listen, Ask a Painter Live is a treatise on that, which is there is no edits. There is no transitions. There is no graphics. Well, we got a little graphic on Facebook up there only because this app lets me do it really easily. But it is not polished. It is off the cuff. And if it's an hour show, it takes me about an hour and 10 minutes uh, setting up all my different streaming things here, maybe get a, uh, a warm light set up, things like that. So it is way more important to just do it than to waffle around um, waiting for perfection. Um, over the seven years of broadcasting live, hundreds of people from the industry have contacted me and they're all like, hey, Nick, I want to do something online. I, I want to get on Facebook Live. I want to do videos. I want to interact. I want to be an influencer in the industry. And they have lots of ideas and they never actually do it, which is sad because they'd actually be really, really good at it and it would help the industry. So um, best practice is be genuine and be consistent and don't copy. Uh, don't copy Moose Painting. Don't copy Zach Kenny. Don't copy me. You have to be genuine, give or take. I mean, look at Jason Paris. He's out there putting videos out that are genuine to him and it doesn't surprise people. It's not confusing. It's very into what Jason Paris is. I do what I do here because I love that. There is nothing better than I love than live off the cuff questions, things like that. I would challenge people, especially on a show like this. There is absolutely nothing that you can ask me that will stump me uh, in this thing here. Uh, I either have a data point. I have an experience. I have some bit of knowledge to pass along to you guys, especially when it comes to painting, things like that. Um, it is uh, uh, I post a lot about the lifestyle. I post a lot about entrepreneurship, about leadership, about humans, but don't forget, this is my 30th year in the industry. And if you think I have not tried something, I have probably tried it, um, things like that. So I am still very curious in the coding science. We experiment all the time. You guys saw me with uh, Surfer Boy in the shop, testing out uh, door paints, things like that. Uh, so let's go through some more questions. But Ronnie, bonjour, my friend, Amdallah. Thanks for my time in the Middle East, my friend. Uh, I enjoyed that very much. And we will talk soon here. So uh, vintage painters, kitchen and design. Last week we got sunburn and this week we have hoodies. Man, it is it is those shoulder seasons, man. It's a rough one out there. All right. Bill Howland, I've started to deal with more boards. What is the best way to grab their attention and what are they looking for? So Bill, I'll assume you're talking about um, like board of directors, property management companies, things like that, uh, that actually deal with the management of properties, things like that. Um, so here's the deal. Um, a lot of it is relationship based. Some of it is price based. I would argue professionalism, 
really shines in an area like this. So if you're a single owner operator uh, and you're approached by a homeowners association to paint 40 units, uh, two to three stories high, um, you'll hand in an estimate. And even if your price is competitive, they're gonna ask you questions, which is how long is this going to take you? So there's some, there's some physical and economic and logistical realities of working with those things. And Bill, I'm gonna assume that you have the workforce and the experience uh, to actually handle those. Um, I've found that service, when uh, my general thinking about B2B, business to business, and a board of directors of a property management company or a homeowners association are, are basically a business. I My general strategy with all of this is solve a problem. Um, when you deal with clients, I think about us as the guide and not the hero, right? If you come in and you start saying, we got 17 national awards, we're the best ever, we love this, this and that, stand aside, let us be the pro. The client wants to be the hero in that scenario. So you need to be the guide. You need to be the wise guide. So think of the client as your Luke Skywalker and you as the wise Yoda. And you're just there to impart knowledge and guide them through so they can feel like they take ownership of that. When we deal with businesses, I think of it as solve a problem, which is they don't care about your fancy stuff. They don't care about your apprenticeship program. They don't care about all that other stuff. They're like, listen, this thing needs to be done and I don't want to be embarrassed. I want it to be value. I don't want all my, all my clients, the actual homeowners or the stakeholders in this to be angry. I want this logistically to go smooth. I don't want any surprises. This is a business. They have a problem to solve. This is probably not a passion project and they just want it solved. So we change our marketing approach and our sales approach quite a bit differently uh, when we approach another business, which is, listen, if you give us this project, we're going to solve it for you. It's going to be high velocity. There's going to be professional communication. We're going to move some stuff around if we need to. We're just going to solve problems for you. So that's the the added value prop. We, as painters, prices become in everything right now. Just like I said, we're flipping that teeter-totter from all of a sudden, I, I believe we're going into an area where we're going to have to put more money and effort into getting jobs than we are getting labor. And I, th I think to a fault, our entire industry thinks that all of that is based on price, whether clients say yes or no. And I am here to tell you it is not that. Uh, there is not a magic price. Well, here's the deal. If you sell a $50,000 job for $4,000, that is a magic price. You will sell every one of them and then you will lose your tail because materials will cost even more than that. But we, we focus on price because it's a thing we can touch. But what we need to focus on is the experience and the service as well, too, because our entire industry for the last 40 years has basically been, hey, he's a grumpy old painter. He does a great job. It's a terrible experience. He comes and goes when he wants. But you know what? He's cheap and he does a really good job. Let's put up with him. And guess what? That is not OK anymore. Uh, people are going to be looking for the experience and the trust and professionalism as well as a good coding. So, Bill, that's a very long way around saying I sprinkle in problem solving. I basically, the, the thing that I want a business client to walk away from, we got a guy who owns a, um, an auto parts manufacturing thing, like an aftermarket thing here, and he wants a job done. We're going to tell him we're going to do an insanely good job of the finish, but we're not going to have downtime for your business. We're not going to have to shut off your machines. We'll work around them. We'll stay clean. We'll be in and out. We'll even do after hours or weekends or things like that. We're problem solvers. You have a business to run. We're not going to have stoppage. We're not going to have complaints. We're just going to get in and out. We're going to solve this for you. And it's going to be like we're never there. So I hope that helps. All right. 
Steve Lockwood, good friend, Steve Lockwood here. The show in the PCA is changing my life and my business. Thank you very much. That is high praise here. <laughs> Evergreen Painting, love the show. Have been listening to all that I could. Uh, all right, people, we need some questions here too. So between Instagram, between TikTok and Facebook here, let's get some topics. Let's get some questions going here. Steve Lockwood, Ooh, we got a good one here. How is the scuffed up table holding up? So we built ourselves a conference room table out of two sheets, four by eight sheets of MDF, um, very high quality MDF. I think there were three quarter inch uh, sheet goods. We glued them together to make it about an inch and a half thick table. Uh, we oil primed it. We sanded it within an inch of its life. Uh, we went outside our normal SVT process and I wanted to show some of my people how cool it was uh, with our oil primer and scuff tough where this is a scuff tough experiment from Sherwin uh, to actually go through a sanding process instead of just taking uh, medium grit sanding sponges or medium squishies or uh, 150 or 220 or something. And we do our standard one sanding process thing. I wanted to show them what a progressive sanding process did. So after the primer, um, we did, uh, we did medium grit, which is probably about 120. Uh, we went to 180 and then we went to 220, uh, progressively sanding it nice and smooth. We primed again and did the same thing to build up that nice layer, kind of in the, uh, fine paints of Europe gloss process, give or take. And then we did three coats of scuff tough, uh, Sherwin Williams scuff tough, uh, their answer to scuff X. And we did that same thing. I did a dual sanding process. We started at about 220 and I went to 300 to give it a little polish between coats <laughs> And it is beautiful. It sands awesome. But I will tell you this, there are, there is almost no coating that we can buy in a can and put on a flat surface that gets used every day. We have lunches there. We have our laptops on there. We do all this other stuff. It's going to leave a scratch. It's going to leave a mark no matter what. Um, we can go grab some conversion varnishes and some polyesters, and maybe we'll have a little better um, sort of experience with that. But I will tell you this, um, scuff tough, insanely easy to work with. It's holding up insanely well uh, for what we do to it. It's basically a cabinet and trim paint and industrial paint, trim paint, things like that. And it's on a flat surface that everybody touches and hot plates and drinks and things like that. It's holding up insanely well. Uh, probably not the ideal use for it like that, but it's a great product here. So, all right, now we're going to go to IG. Oh, love this stuff here. We're getting them in here. Oh, my friend, Michael Crane watching this morning, Lauren Fink. What do you think about Angie's leads? I'm getting the best leads for the fourth month straight. Solid customers, seriously uh, ready to pay real money. Painters complain it's terrible. Some say it's bad for business. Yeah, so this is one of those things where it's a everybody's experience is different. I will tell you this. Uh, the times I've seen people fail at it is when they expect Angie's List to solve something for them without them putting effort. So they sign up for Angie, they pay some money, and magically it just doesn't change their business. Um, that is a problem. And, and you're not, you need to know what those things are, um, whether it's home advisor, whether it's Angie's lead, whether it's any of those lead selling sort of things, the way that people win Lauren, and then, uh, our friend, uh, Brad Allison, I was actually laying around in his sweatshirt this morning here. Um, the way that people win with those sort of organizations, uh, is you need to be a professional company, which is if you want to win at the Angie's game, you need to play their game, which is when a lead comes in, you act on it instantly. It's not an hour later. It's within five minutes. So you need notifications on, you need to take the time to respond to it because the winners in those games are the ones that respond first and with high velocity. And you've probably found that too, Lauren, where, and you may say, well, that's not fair. I'm painting. It's like, that's a game. 
If you want to win, that's fine. Most people give those things a bad name uh, because they don't want to play that game. So there is no bad forms of marketing. There's bad ways of doing bad forms of marketing and, and responding to that marketing like that. So uh, professional organizations, um, uh, yeah, uh, professional organizations actually have a way better time with those things if you know what they are. <clears throat> but uh, don't ever get in your head that it's going to solve something for you automatically. It does not. It's a way for people to interact with you. And in that relationship, they will instantly let you know that, but you need to instantly respond back. And that's that, that is a relationship. That is the terms of that relationship. You must abide by that. If you say, well, listen, I'll get to them on Fridays like that. It's not going to work. Those leads are already done because there's people like Lord Fink and Brad Ellison within five minutes responding to them like that. So uh, Jason Webb, good friend, Jason Webb, Nick, how do you, uh, how do you run your production jobs in Nick? How do you run your production jobs in line juggle jobs? Um, I'll need a little clarification on that. Is it, how do we, how do we coordinate logistic schedule all the jobs that we have, or is there something in there, Jason Webb? Let me know. I just want to make sure I answer your question correctly. Good morning, Michael Crane. Always good to see you, my friend. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to beat the next guy at the response times and sales. You bet. Turner Painting agreed. The best way to fight uh, those is automated CRM. There you go. There you go. And uh, you mentioned drip jobs. Speaking of drip jobs, I'm going to see our good friend Tanner Mullen down there. We're going to press the flesh. We're going to do a little golfing. He's going to do a little education and so am I. So, all right. One more from Instagram. Then we'll go back to Facebook here. Jason Webb. Yes. How do we juggle all those jobs? Well, um, the reality is there's two ways to do it. Um, you can cowboy it and do it yourself and just use hours of the day to do that, to manage all that stuff, or you can have a team. And it's been very important to me over the last five to seven years to build a company where I am not the crux of everything. And sometimes these conversations take the form of, I don't want to paint anymore. I just want to run a business. And that's fine. But that's step number one is not painting. Step number two is now what the hell are you going to do with all your time? Um, you we just had this discussion recently where there's a miss. People think about this differently. If you want to stop painting, but still run your business, you're going to have to replace a painting task with a leadership and accountability task. And there's, there's a continuum of, of, I want to say leaders in a business, but people that aren't technicians in a business, there's a technician, there's a master craftsperson that does the work. There is a manager who manages other people. It's block and tackle. It's show up here at this time, get them the paint, this and that. And then there is a leader. A leader inspires everybody downstream from them or in their organization to then do those jobs to the best of their ability to mentor and develop them. So you have to think about a, a continuum where if you stop painting and you become a manager, you will line up the job, you will schedule with the client, you will get the paint, you will check up on it. You're a manager. If you're a leader, then you're leading those people and inspiring them to do that and, and giving them coaching and mentoring along the way. Long way around to saying, uh, if you, you, I could like all of our jobs right now, theoretically, I could order paint, schedule and call the clients and things like that, but I would not be giving my clients the kind of care, the concierge level care that I want. 
And I would not be giving my own people, my craftspeople and apprentices, the, the concierge level care I want. So that's why we have a team. We have an office coordinator. We have two project managers that do the day-to-day uh, managing of those tasks. We have two estimators that go out there and set them all up so that when a client says yes, it's handed off to our project management team uh, and then uh, then they take care of it. So here's, here's I think what I'm getting, and Jason, you'll have to tell me if you need a clarification on this, but basically, I hope this will help answer your question, which is our two estimators, well, people, here's how the funnel looks. People find our website, they find a social media ad, they contact us uh, and they become a lead. Um, our coordinator, our office coordinator assesses them and see if they are estimate worthy. And then they schedule them with our estimators. Our estimators then estimate those. And when they say yes, they get dropped into our project management team. They get their official handoff where now I, the owner, are, are helping on the project. One of the estimators is on the project and they get assigned a project manager and they have a coordinator. So at that time, when somebody says yes, they already have four humans seen to their project. After the project is set up, we have a series of stock emails where we need some information from the client, which is what is the scope, any potential timeline, anything else we need to know about the job, colors, things like that. And then we manage that through. And as soon as they're ready, we get it a tentative schedule spot. As soon as we're ready, we give them a hard schedule spot. And then we just schedule our painters and, and get going. Um, the, how we handle the actual tasks is there's a whole bunch of lead up to the job that our project managers do to get the job set up and deem it a perfectly good, ready to go job just waiting on us. In process, our project managers, they spend four mornings a week going out in the field and making sure that the crews have what they need, seeing the job, making sure there's nothing different. And then in the afternoon, they're setting up those jobs. And then in the process of closing it down, one of the benefits of a business like mine is that we have such awesome people, our apprentices, our craftspeople, master craftspeople, they actually close out the jobs themselves. We have a sort of standard operating procedure where we do a white glove clean, we label all the paint cans, we move the furniture back. And uh, sometimes if it's a client who's uh, really is a high touch client, we'll ask them to even do a walkthrough on the project. But that's one of the benefits of like the W2 system and the uh, apprenticeship and the craftspersonship that we have here, which is uh, we don't need uh, a project manager to close out most of our projects or even kick them off. Our people know that process and they're very good with clients now, which is an amazing thing. So, all right, let's go through here. Oh, good. Nathan Hutzel, what obstacles should a single painter be keeping in mind when trying to schedule jobs? Nathan Hutzel, good friend, Nathan Hutzel. He's apprenticed under us before. Uh, amazing guy, amazing family man. And uh, yeah, glad to call your friend, Nathan. What obstacles should a single painter be keeping in mind when trying to schedule jobs? So number one, uh, I love this question because People think of it as what piece of software can we use to do this? And Nathan, you know, it's not that it's more of setting proper expectations. So one of my favorite ways to set proper expectations with people, uh, with clients is if you're looking at your queue of jobs, because right when people say, yes, we write their name down somewhere, it could be on a G sheet, it could be on a piece of paper, a whiteboard, whatever. And if they're number seven on our list of to do, uh, the conversation that we have is, all right, client, uh, Bill Smith, um, technically right now you're seventh in the queue. If and if you are asking me for a tentative start date and I will say this, there are six people in front of you. If every one of those jobs does not change, if every one of those jobs triggers and we complete it in the order they said yes, and we don't have any attendance issues, we don't have any COVID issues, there's no holidays, the people before you don't change the scope of their project, bigger or smaller, will have a tentative start date of about X like this. But if any of those variables change, weather as well, we're going to have to move that up uh, forward or backward. I know that's an unsatisfying answer. It's the best I can give you. I don't want to promise something I can't deliver. 
but also Bill Smith, understand that you can email me anytime and I can give you an update of where you are in the schedule. So that's sort of like a, oh yeah, that's the right way to do it. It's an unsatisfying answer, but it's the right thing to do. Because if you just say, Bill Smith, four and a half weeks from now on July 3rd at 8 a.m., we're going to be on your house, guaranteed, no matter what, life or death, you will fail at that. You have just promised something. It's likely you can't deliver because there's about 17 variables that go into whether you can hit that date or not. So, all right. Turner Painting. Do you pay sales rep on margins or project gross? Um, typically what we do is uh, we have a similar comp plan for project managers and estimators in my company. They have a base pay, which is just guaranteed. There's perks and benefits, health insurance, retirement, PTO, a vehicle, things like that. Uh, we, we send them on trips uh, with us and things like that. Uh, and then they're based, uh, they have, everybody has, a, I have four people on a bonus system in my company, two project managers, two estimators, where if a project hits 45% gross profit, we move it over into the green column. If it's less than 45%, we move it into the red column. We add up all the revenue in the green column and pay them a percentage of that. Usually it starts at about 2%. And then as their tenure increases, that goes up as well too. So, uh, but it's, uh, a lot of it is negotiated based on experience. Um, based on performance, things like that, uh, tenure and things like that. But that's the basic idea. All in all, um, once you get a really, there's not, there's nobody in my company who's come here with tons and tons of project management or estimating experience. Andy came here with a bunch of estimating experience through his own business, but we've basically like, we operate under that decent human being principle, which is find awesome people and we'll train them to do it. Cause we kind of do something pretty specific here. And, uh, there's not a lot of paint business estimators and project managers in my area looking for work. Uh, that thing doesn't exist in our industry at all. So we have to teach them. So after a couple of years, uh, after a year of kind of getting under them, I really see them stretch their legs. In year two, they come into themselves. And typically in year three, they're just maximized. Just like estimator Andy is just in his prime. He's just out there killing it. He's doing amazing work. He's so thoughtful. He knows the system and he's so good with clients. You see them go from um, really good to really, really good to like exceptional uh, in that time. Somewhere about year two or three, it is my goal to give them the opportunity to make six figures. Um, the typical plan, um, you know, the going rate for an estimator salesperson, total comp plan is probably between 70, 75K, give or take. And I would like to see my people after about year one sort of moving up through that, you know, somewhere between 70 and 100K total compensation when you take the whole package in there like that. So, all right, Jason Webb, perfect explanation. Thank you. All right, let's get back in Facebook. Evergreen Painting. Any advice on getting more customers in the beginning stages of a sole owner operator? I'm currently using Facebook ads and Craigslist ads without much luck, planning on using door hangers, yard signs, and my labor, but would like some up. All right, so here's the deal thing. Uh, right now, there is an entire conversation that is switching. Um, that is switching between we're having a problem finding labor to finding jobs. And here's the unsatisfying answer of that, which is, um, if you are having gaps in your schedule now and it's April, I would start a consistent marketing effort right now and not stop. Um, marketing, when you have a gap in the schedule, is not a very effective way to fill that schedule. But here's the thing. There are some tactical things that we can do. Like if you gave me the challenge of we need jobs next week, there's things I would do. If 
you give me the challenge. We need a consistent flow of jobs. I also have a solution for that. So I want you to think about solving almost any business problem in one of two ways or a combination of you can use labor, you can use money, or you can use a combination of labor and money. If you need immediacy, if next week you need to keep your people busy, what you're going to do is pick up the phone and call people you know. You call relationships, you call family, you call past clients, you call any acquaintances you have, uh, business connections, things like that, and you start soliciting your work. That's how it works. Um, that is very that is a very immediate sort of thing to do. Um, I would I would urge you to try some. I would I would urge you to get a marketing mix. Now, whatever that is. Um, that's up to you, but uh, certainly I would make sure your website is up to speed, your Google page is up to speed, and you start doing some social media marketing and experimenting with that. doesn't have to be a lot of money. Just get it out there, consistent, make yourself easy to find. I would also try some traditional forms of media too, which are, see, people have experiences all over the place. I talked to a, a really good professional contractor in um, Nashville the other day and they advertised in a home magazine, got a bunch of leads. And typically those things are hit or miss. You know, you'll spend a lot of money, it'll be crickets or you'll spend a lot of money and oh my God, we're just overwhelmed with leads. So what my marketing mix looks like is we have our fans, we have our yard signs, we have word of mouth, we have repeat clients, we have referrals. Um, we have a local newspaper. <laughs> uh, we have door hangers. We have direct mail. We have Instagram. We have YouTube. We have Facebook. Uh, what else do we do? I thought our website, Google, we have about 13 forms of marketing. And what you'll find is uh, when I analyze people's marketing efforts in other companies, what you'll find is that two, one or two will give you the most. They'll probably give you 60 to 80% of all your leads. And the mix, the rest of that, the other 10 forms of marketing give you that last 10 to 20%. So when people say, well, listen, if, if all my leads come from Angie or all my leads come from direct mail, I'm just going to hammer down on that. And it's like, that's fine. But a lot of people get diminishing returns where at some point you can't just send more and more and more and get more and more leads. What you'll find is a diminishing returns where you spend more and more and you're getting not the same for the equivalent. It's costing you more and more per lead because uh, they're just not effective at a certain point. So what you have to do is do the mix. And it's super unsatisfying to have to do 10 forms of marketing to get your last 10 to 20%. But without that 10 to 20%, my business would be much different. So for me, it's all that sort of like, you know, I weigh this all the time, which is I shifted in this last quarter. Um, we use a bunch of marketing agencies. We always experiment with that stuff. A lot of great marketing agencies reach out to me and propose experiments and we do them and they're awesome. Uh, but what I've done recently is I've reverted back to using two afternoons a week of using my effort to then put out marketing. You guys have seen my 15th anniversary videos. You've seen a whole bunch of my organic posting. I'm going back to a bunch of that stuff to infill like that because we got a little too heavy on the money side and not the effort side. And um, money side is good. You can pay marketers to do stuff, but they're not going to solve it for you. You still have to hold them accountable. Um, but with my effort, we can capture the true voice of my company and the spirit of my company a lot easier than a marketing company can. So lots of forms of marketing. We'll actually be starting a really novel form of marketing in May here. Uh, and after we get a couple weeks or months under there, uh, it's a different strategy, different thing I've never tried before. And I will obviously share the experiment, fill you in, but we got to get the experiment going first. So, all right, Mark Wilson. Good morning. First time on live. Hey, welcome, man. I have gaps since January till now. I'm on Facebook, Google business, word of mouth and websites, still not getting enough calls. Is there any advice you could suggest? Is Angie's leads a good source of helping with gaps? 
the lack enough steady work. So again, I think that I think my um, oops, hold on a second, guys. I got to plug in. I got to plug in my computer. Uh, we are uh, sorry about that. The one thing I forgot to plug in before the broadcast today. I don't want to lose you guys on the main one here. So. Okay, there we go. Um, same thing. Um, if you have gaps, the, the one thing um, that paint business owners um, rely too heavily on is spending money and hoping things happen. Um, I would absolutely do a combination. You can see even with like a $3 million company with a whole bunch of stuff, I'm still reverting back to a combination of effort and money and everything in between in order to, to get leads like that. So um, one of the things that I also take on myself as the visionary of the company and typically in the visionary's role, you'll find in the job description is the large relationships. And so I've taken it upon myself over the years to basically say, I need at least one meeting with somebody that we might be able to form a relationship with. And I did two introduction meetings and then two follow-ups uh, this last week because it's that important to the business. And these are long plays, right? This does not maybe solve an immediate need next week, although it can. We had uh, two contractors I talked to that were basically like, hey, listen, we want to meet you. We want to get to know you, uh, but we got projects coming like in two weeks that we may need you on. So let's do this. So in the spirit of that, I was like, yeah, let's meet quick. Let's do this. Uh, I don't know that we can guarantee that time, but certainly let's meet and find out. Right. Uh, these are things that will pay off maybe a year down the road, give or take. But. A year ago, if you would have started doing these relationships, you may have the work now. So honestly, Mark, the best advice I can give you is the thing that most business owners don't want to do is pick up the phone, walk door to door, drop off door hangers, stuff like that. Asterisk and piece of advice uh, to you is you typically can't drop, you can't really drop I shouldn't say it. You can't put stuff in mailboxes if you're not the post service, right? So don't go around putting flyers and door hangers in mailboxes. Um, and you can't technically go door to door or even hang out door hangers or flyers in most municipalities without a peddler's permit, solicitor's permit, salesperson's permit. So I think for 50 bucks or less, you can go to most towns and they will actually permit you. They'll get some background information from you. They'll even give you a badge and that will allow you to go door to door and knock. And, and so this is the thing where you have to be really respectful because there will be people, it's like, hey, we don't allow solicitors here. It's like, well, your municipality does. My apologies for coming to your house, but I'm allowed to do this, right? And, but you want to be respectful of people as well too. So, all right, another Facebook question here. Nick, I'm pricing a monster job for a luxury home builder and interested to hear your thoughts on how to put together a crack team of seven to nine craftspeople to get this one over the line. Well, here's the deal. If you don't currently have those seven to nine craftspeople to do this, you're going to have to find some subcontractors because uh, grabbing people as W-2 employees on a moment's notice, seven to nine of them, and putting them on a luxury home doesn't feel like a great strategy to me. Um, a hybrid of that, if you can't if you can't find a subcontractor to do any of that stuff, um, what you can do is find some other local painting companies in your area and partner with them. So Marcus, tell me, tell me where you're at, where you live. Um, in Minnesota, we have the Gathering of Minnesota Painters, uh, which is about 310 members. It was the flagship gathering group in the United States. There's now 20 to 25 of them, uh, Gathering of Ohio Painters, Gathering of Florida Painters, which I'm going down to Monday. Um, and it's a great group of people where people post all the time, hey, I got a big job coming. I can't do it. I want to hand it off or I need some help here, things like that. And uh, that is a huge thing. So strategy there would be if you don't currently have those employees, 
Uh, my strategy would be find some subcontractors or find partners to do the job with you. If you have those people and you're just wondering how to work through logistically, we can actually work through a project plan together if you like. And this is something we do on every project, uh, every project, every day in my company where we chart out hour by hour what happens today and then every day till the end of the project in order to get it at least 10% under budget, give or take. So happy to help more. If you got any other questions there, Evan Bomboy, good morning, my friend. Anthony Cade, have you ever tried the new gallery paint? Yes, this is a, a Sherwin's new offering for cabinets. Um, actually went to their national sales meeting in Orlando, and I think they had 10,000 people from Sherwin there, and I got to go uh, mess with it a little bit. Uh, I think it's going to be in readily available in my area in two weeks. I just talked to my rep about it yesterday because we're looking for a water-based clear for an interesting project, interior, fine finish. So we're going to be testing it out in a couple of weeks. Um, so look forward to that in the shop. Uh, I'd be curious to hear... Um, Sometimes I have this super sneaky insight where I can get a pro shot before it's released, but there's some other things where I got to wait just like everybody else. So I don't get a lot of privilege in a lot of that stuff, but uh, my people know that I'm interested and that, uh, yeah, I'll be there. So three rivers painting. Hey, Nick, what's your strategy for managing the seasonality of rain days or cold temps or early days? All right, here's the thing. It's the same thing, folks, which is you set proper expectations. There is no app that will solve this for you, right? And we ask this question because we know the answer already, but it's a friction point and it's not easy. So what we do is like right now we're in April, we should be outside. It's snowing, right? So when a client says, Hey, I want you out there at my house right now, we'll say, all right, the nighttime temps don't match. And they say, well, if you can't do it now, when, when can you tell me you're going to start? It's like client, here's the deal. We're going to offer you some experience. I've been doing this for 30 years and may in Minnesota goes one of two ways. We either get one day a week of outside painting because of dew and rain and snow and temperatures, or it's super dry and we get the entire month. If you can tell me what the weather is going to be six weeks from now, I will tell you what the schedule is. But right now, we'll get to you as soon as we can and email me anytime for an update. That's just it. Another super sneaky thing my project management team does is they pre-qualify clients for rain day jobs. So if it's a small project, if it's a wall project, if it's a thing that doesn't go into multiple days, they'll actually check it out with the client and see, hey, um, you're like 24th on the schedule right now, but it's a perfect rain day project. So if it rains uh, tomorrow and we give you eight to 12 hours notice, we'll put you ahead of everybody. We'll move our people inside and do this. Is that a good proposition for you client. And typically people are like, oh my God, yeah, if I can get my project done sooner, I'll, I'll do it on short notice. So we already have rain day jobs triggered and ready to go. Um, and that we can call people on a moment's notice. So it's a pretty cool thing. All right. New Wisconsin painting. Celebrating three years in business. Congratulations. Love that. Uh, Melanie Marie, then we'll get to some Instagram and some TikTok here too. So uh, let's see. Melanie, how do you like the new Graco Pro Shot? Are you using it frequently? Yeah, it's a it's a super fun machine, which is um, we've seen a lot of battery operated handhelds, things like that. Um, two kind of big innovations with this one here. And I love just the, the tech and the innovation part of this, which is it's got an electronically actuated trigger and you can actually feel this. I'm going to use the wrong word, but the solenoid or the actuator click in your hand and it's beautiful and satisfying. The second thing is it's a real deal airless. Like we're spraying heavy body paints in our shop and it sprays it just like a, uh, a 390, just like a Titan 440, everything else. It's a great little machine. And uh, Dell, our most senior uh, uh, seasoned craftsperson coming here with decades and decades of experience in our shop. He loves that little thing. And side benefit is it's got a super short hose and a, a little more than a quart cup. 
and it's super easy to clean out. There's not a lot of waste in it. So it is a real deal airless. And we just did about 200 uh, cabinet doors in the shop, even with oil varnish, delicate finishes, and it is a beauty. So it's just a great little machine and it's, it's not a toy. It's not one of those delicate little handheld things where it's like, it's super cool, but it doesn't really do what we want it to. This is a real deal airless. It's a powerful little machine. I love that. So all right, let's see. Josh Spell, I'll be getting to your uh, question here in just a second. Let's go back to some IG. Man, thanks for everybody watching today. What a good group of people out here today. Good morning, everybody. Splash painting, paint baby. Good to see a lot of familiar names. All right, uh, La Paintura, do you give importance on negotiating to your estimators? With negotiations, I'm not talking about discounts. Uh, okay, so we don't really do that. Um, we want to set ourselves up as the professional, and we always have this uh, moral quandary when it comes to this, which is if we're going to charge $5,000 for a really big job, and the client says, hey, listen, uh, we really appreciate it. We love your professionalism, but we got another bid for $4,200. If you do $4,200, we'll go with you. And then we typically say, well, I have the, you play out the conversation in your head. If you were just like, yeah, no problem, $4,200. If I was a client, I'd be like, if you can do it for 42, why do you charge 5,000? Like, why did you just all of a sudden cave on price? You know, were you, yeah. Anyway, we try to, just like when we talked about the business to business or the home uh, HOA stuff before, um, we try to pass along the value too. I just uh, released a video yesterday about what you get with my company. Uh, and this is, this is not a judgment, right? Folks, you guys know that uh, I love all forms of business. This is not good or bad, but if a single owner operator gives a bid to one of my clients and we give a bid to the clients, even if our prices are the same, you're only getting one person and you're probably going to get a nine month lead time with the other company, not good or bad, just is with my company, we'll get to you in two to four weeks. And you have a team of somewhere between five and seven people for your project for the same price. So we try to, we try to um, appeal to the client on, you have a dedicated estimator, estimator, project manager, owner of the company, coordinator, and at least uh, one or two people on your project to all see through. And we do high velocity communication. You can get a hold of us anytime. All of our systems are down. Uh, we never go over an estimate. In 15 years, we've never gone over an estimate unless the client changes scope. So we have a lot of guarantees that we give people, you know, it, it, even outside of helping with color, moving furniture and white glove cleaning at the end here. So see if there's any more IG. All right. We got some TikTok questions too. <laughs> People getting spicy on TikTok. God love you. Uh, Dylan Nordby, what CRM software do you utilize for your business? Do you use any other, uh, use any other software? Yeah. So uh, a, a true CRM, a, cus a customer or client relationship management software. I think people conflate this a lot with just stuff to run a business, right? A true CRM is a database where you can query it for information. So um, think about Microsoft Access, a true database system. A CRM, people often think that that's an estimating tool, a marketing tool, an a project management tool. A CRM, with my understanding, is a true database where if it solves this problem of sorting and analyzing data, the typical problem I would solve with a real CRM is show me all the deck projects using a translucent or transparent finish in the Southwest Metro that we did between June and July of last year. 
And then if you put those parameters in, it would query it and say, here's a list of those decks that meet that parameter. And then we would sort it for, okay, were those profitable projects or unprofitable? What was the average gross profit? My understanding of a CRM is that's what a CRM would be used for. Those are the kinds of problems a CRM would solve. It is not an estimating tool. It is not even a email tool to stay in contact with them. Uh, a customer relationship management thing does that. It may also then have an estimating thing. It may also have an email marketing capability and things like that. But that is the main function of it. And that's how I would typically use that. Now, uh, Dylan uh, from TikTok, we we are a Google-based company. Uh, all of our communication is based in Gmail. Uh, our Google Drive is the mainframe of our company where our, um, our, our project managers and estimators all focus within there. And then um, our uh, painters always have access to the job folders as well, too, so they can see that uh, standard operating procedures, things like that. Uh, we use Trello for our project management tool. It's just a visual tool where we can lay out a board of all the jobs. And my two project managers really like that. We use Slack for communication to remove group text messages and phone calls and things like that. That's typically what we do. So, um, yeah. Um, love that. And thanks for watching on TikTok. And if you guys got any other questions or uh, topics you'd like to discuss, let me know. Uh, paint it and restore it. Good morning, everybody. A happy painter. Good morning to you as well from Instagram. All right. Back to Josh Spell. Okay. If you were in my shoes, what would be your next step as far as business goes? Specifically, what would you do to allow your business to grow and expand? We hit 150K last year on track for 250 this year. I have a crew of three at the moment. I do work in the field 85 to 95% of the time. I'm using Angie's for leads and base coat marketing, Google SEO, GSLA for lead generators. We're roughly running at 45% profit at the moment. What would be your next steps to grow? All right. So here's the deal. Um, number one. The reality of where you're at now is in order for you to hire an estimator or a project manager to take some of those duties off your hands, you're going to be, you're going to need to be at about a million dollars of revenue or higher. An average benchmark for a project manager or an estimator is maybe 5% of revenue at a million dollars. That'll give you a $50,000 budget, which isn't that much for a real professional project manager or estimator, but you might be able to swing it. Um, here's the deal. My advice is a little bit uh, unsatisfying, but it is actually actionable and good, which is uh, if you email me, Josh, Nick at NickSlavic.com, I can send you a document that I created called Steps to Professionalization. And it basically lays out like the seven or eight steps that you need to do in order to lay the groundwork for any future expansion uh, to go beyond that. Uh, Josh, I would also tell you this, Jason Paris and I and the rest of the PCA created an amazing resource called the Business Foundations and Business Accelerator course through the PCA. Uh, there's actually a link uh, in the show notes, I believe, of this show. If you go there, it is a crash course on exactly what you need to do from where you are now to where you want to grow. Now, what I will tell you is that even at a million dollars in revenue, you're still going to have to wear most of the hats. At $2 million of revenue, it's likely that you can have a project manager, an estimator, maybe an admin, but you're still going to have to do some stuff. And even at $3 million, you can maybe have redundancy, two project, uh, two project managers, two estimators, an office coordinator. But I still have my foot in somewhere between four and seven job descriptions, even at $3 million of revenue. So here's the deal, Josh. There are things mentally that we need to do to prepare for growth, and there's things tactically that we need to prepare for growth. Things like having a proven painting process documented by SOPs. Uh, having a metric-based bidding system like that, uh, job costing consistently. 
um, having a way to recruit and train your people, but also having a database comp plan where you can hold them accountable to that and allow them to get raises or ask them to leave the company based on that. Um, the more data-based things you do and the less feelings-based things you do in your business as you grow, the less friction and the less heartache you're going to have, give or take. So on my seven or eight steps to professionalization, there's very few people that do all of them before they expand. But my God, if you can do most of them or the majority of them before that, your heartaches are going to be way down. And of course, Josh, anything you need in the process, I'm here to help. The entire PCA, the Painting Contractors Association is there. But I would tell you one of the best resources ever is that business foundations, business accelerator, business legacy, business training through the PCA. It is um, my and Jason's pet project. And we got a lot of assistance through the PCA. Exactly how Jason and I professionalize our business. We basically found subject matter experts from all over the world that created a course. Uh, it does cost money, but for the money, it's like the cost of a sprayer give or take. And we buy tons of them and we love that, but uh, this would be a great investment for you and happy to connect you as well too, Josh, if you like. But that's a fun stage of business right there. Um, just know that, well, I won't say that. It's hard. Uh, the best advice I've ever got is this is hard. If you want to grow past that, uh, it's hard, but it's worth it. Uh, these little freedom machines are worth it. So Justin Cowles, good morning, sir. Steve Lockwood, do you do you plan think you will be solvent free in the next few years with all the waterborne primers coming out? I hope so. It'd be a great thing. Um, but I will not sacrifice guaranteed proven processes and quality for our clients. So right now, really the only two solvent things we use, three solvent things we use is uh, oil primer for interior trim and cabinets. We use Alkid varnish for interior uh, cabinets and trim. And we use some Alkid or Alkid modified deck stains as well too. And in the upper Midwest, um, there are some good waterborne alternatives, some hybrid versions, um, especially like Sansin and some other things from Canada that are great, but they're not readily available down here and it's tough. So in the meantime, a lot of the waterborne translucent and transparent stains just aren't there yet. They don't really penetrate. They flake off a lot, especially in Minnesota. So we need, uh, we still have to use those hybrids and alkids up here for that good effect. But I would convert in a second if I could have a guaranteed product. Um, right now, currently the biggest crux in our process is that oil primer, which is, we love it. It's a guaranteed process. If we could get rid of it and have something that is readily available, would stick to everything like oil primer does block all the stains like oil primer does dries relatively quickly and sands easily. I would convert right now. And that's just the thing. And we have to have it easy to use and readily available as well. I hope so. Steve Lockwood, new Wisconsin painting. Lead sources have been friends, word of mouth, posted things on Facebook. I also use Home Advisor and Angie, which has been okay, but not great. What other lead sources are out there? I got a lot of calls from Google ads, but I've heard it's expensive. Yeah, it is. And it's a weird thing where you shovel money into it and you don't actually know how it works. It's an algorithm. So uh, just like I would said before, New Wisconsin, um, get your whole mix going. Get the yard signs. Make sure your website's up to speed. Post regularly, be genuine, be consistent, like we talked about before. Start calling people, maybe do some flyers, maybe do some door, get a whole mix going and see what works for you. The, the key to that, though, is to tracking it all so it's not a feelings based decision and it's a metric based decision. So, Frank, good friend from Minnesota here. Good to see you, my friend. Emilio, do you pay them based on salary or percentage? Uh, I assume you're talking about project managers or estimators, both. Uh, they have a salary, a base pay, and then they typically have a bonus over the top of it and, uh, and a perks and benefits package as well too. 
All right, vintage painters. How do those marketing channels handled, outsourced, uh, or an in-house marketer? So here's a problem. You can do both, right? But again, don't ever think that you're going to shovel money at a marketing agency and they're going to just dump leads on you and it's just going to be great and they just solve it with no contact. Here's how I think about this whole thing. You can either spend six hours a week, four to six hours a week, making your own Facebook posts, Instagram posts, videos, maybe even ads, boosting things, things like that. Or you're going to have to spend four to six hours a week holding your marketing agency accountable, which is you're going to shovel them money and then they're going to want to tell you how good or bad they're doing. And you need to actually say, well, based on this money, I, I understand what you're saying. Here's where we need to be. So if you're spending one, two, three thousand dollars a month with a marketing agency and they send over six leads that month and they say we're doing a great job, you need to say. Not by my judgment and how are we going to improve it next week? And you have to have those tense conversations. So don't think that you absolve this and wipe your hands of any of this efforts, like anything with managing and leading. If you don't do the task anymore, you'll typically have to move into holding somebody accountable or mentoring somebody in that task to make sure it still gets done. Very few things in life we just hand off and they're done without inner interdiction, give or take. <laughs> Vintage painter, thank you very much. Uh, Evergreen, appreciate the feedback. We'll be diversifying and testing different avenues. And you know what? While we're doing this, do, 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 give me one second. Can non-USA painters join the PCA? 100%. We got international uh, members all over the place. And Jason, if you want me to make the connection personally, uh, I'll be there for you. I am going to see if I can pull something up real quick for you guys. Uh, it may be useful. I have my spreadsheet working on something now, uh, but I'm going to see if I can pull up uh, quickly without delaying the show too much. Um, my marketing, just how I, I just wanted to show you how I visualize this stuff. And we got some pretty slow internet right now. Uh, let's see here. And maybe this will help you uh, do this because it's not it's not a very sophisticated thing, but it is something that I keep up on. So it's a G sheet. Thank you, Ronnie. Bonjour for the awesome coffee cups. All right. Hang with me, folks. I'm actually pulling up a spreadsheet. I'm going to see if I can't share this. It's a huge spreadsheet. It's taking some time to load here. So I'm going to. Load this one up in the queue, and I'm also going to, we have a spreadsheet where uh, all of our leads are zapiered into uh, a sheet. All right, let's see what we can do here. <laughs> ah, here we go. All right, folks, rock and roll. Uh, this is how I sort out my marketing like this. So for the first quarter, I finally got my numbers back uh, and put some time into this. And <clears throat> so these, these are uh, the main marketing channels I do outside of things that are the enigmatic things, the relationships and stuff like that. That's a little harder to track. So we have newspaper, yard sign, van, Facebook, Instagram, flyers and mailing, web search, word of mouth, referral. I'm a previous client and then email marketing as well too. So when you look at the totality of this, we had in January 180 leads, 159 in February, 204 in March. We had 543 people contact us through the website in quarter one, uh, potentially looking for work. And how we broke this down was uh, we're starting to look at 
what percentage of the leads came from each one. So if you look in quarter one, my flyers and mailing accounted for 51.7, 52.2, and 47.5. This is some of the highest I've seen. Typically, it's maybe 40%, give or take. So that's a lot. Now, word of mouth, repeat, and referral, uh, excuse me, word of mouth and referral was 16.1, 13.2, 15.2. Now look at this. What I like is I kind of lump these things together. In March, we're looking for statistical anomalies, which is if you add in word of mouth, referral, and repeat clients, 5.5% of all of our work, uh, excuse me, uh, estimates and stuff and leads came from that, which is huge, right? And now when you look at Facebook, uh, started taking on Facebook marketing myself here. So just under 10% came from that. And look at this newspaper. Uh, we're pretty steady about three, somewhere between 2.9 and 3.8% of all of our leads come from just traditional newspapers like that. And so here's the interesting thing about a marketing channel like that, which is it is my hometown newspaper. I think it probably goes out to 15,000 to 20,000 homes in the area. That's not a form of marketing you can ramp up because literally there's not any more homes to send it to. There's a form of that newspaper that literally goes to not only my town, but all the towns around it uh, in this very area. Now, yes, they're building more houses, but I can't double my invest. I can double my investment in it, but it's still only going out to that many houses. So uh, yard signs, that's a surprising thing, too. I mean, we're looking at 2.2, 3.8 and 2.5 percent of all of our leads come from that sort of thing. So, again, when you take into account a a simple newspaper ad, a yard sign, our vans, that right there is about in any one time, we're looking at almost 10% of all of our leads come from those little things. So it's that drip, right? We got 50% of our leads coming from um, uh, flyers and mailings, and we got another 10% coming from that other mix. So if you don't have that mix, all you're going to have is that 50% from flyers and it's not going to be effective. So um, just a fun sort of like thing that I, uh, that I go through here. Um, yeah, we can basically cost the, uh, we can go through the SR of my direct mail. We can look at the cost per lead and it varies wildly depending on effectiveness. Sometimes we have $142 cost per lead. We've had as high as 287. A lot of that is dependent on when we actually print stuff because if you want to print 50,000 flyers, you're going to spend between four and $6,000 and that expense drops and we try to allocate it over the, over the side. So I hope this helps guys. I love this sort of thing. Uh, this is something, uh, yeah, near and dear to my heart. Let's see. Let's hide that one. But that's how I go through these thought experiments of, I have a feeling we need more leads, but number one, do we actually, and if we do need more leads, where are we going to get it from? What's working and what's not? So uh, Jordan Huff, uh, do you pay employees bonuses? If so, what is the criteria? So uh, we do something that's a weird thing. It's technically a bonus, but it's not a cash bonus. So you have to be really careful with cash bonuses. Uh, I believe in pay and compensation plans that are simple, transparent, and predictable. And if you randomly as a business owner drop $100, $500, $1,000 on employees, um, it can be taken a lot of wrong ways, which is now it's expected. Or if it's not tied to some performance consistency, they may expect it all the time, or it may be it may cause some um, cultural problems in your company if you do that. I more prefer somebody to earn it, which is you get two to three percent of all revenue over all jobs, forty five percent gross profit and higher. And so then they can actually track it. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's predictable, and it's transparent. They can see through it like that. You even have to be careful with sometimes uh, Christmas bonuses and things like that. Cause you know, in the proverbial Christmas movie with Chevy Chase, uh, you know, family vacation, if, if 
you drop a bonus check on, on people every year for Christmas and you don't one year or switch it over to a jelly of the month club versus cash, this is the way humans are. It doesn't mean they're good or bad. It just is, which is it becomes expected. It's a new high watermark and you can actually hurt yourself by doing that sort of thing. I, in, in order for somebody to participate in a bonus, they have to participate in some of the downside. So a bad compensation plan is when somebody only participates in the upside. Um, and I'll tell you how we kind of bonus our um, W-2 painters. The, the, they, somebody has to be open to a higher risk, higher reward thing if they want the reward, right? You can't just always get the reward. You have to have some risk. So if you're a W-2 painter, you can put your foot through a coffee table. I have to pay for it and you're still going to get paid for it. Doesn't mean you keep your job, but it does mean that I have to pay for it and that you're still going to get paid. Um, for the people who have bonuses, their effort can directly affect their pay much better. Now, what I do is a different thing because you have to play upon that risk and reward uh, or, or, or cater to that risk and reward profile, which is we offer typically four raises a year for that performance. So in, in a way, it's sort of a sustained bonus system where if you get 75% of your jobs, 45% gross profit or higher, or you hit the budget on 75% of your jobs, you're eligible for a dollar an hour raise, maybe four times a year, give or take. So to me, that is a very long play. And in, in essence, if somebody rocks and rolls in my company, they could potentially get $8,000 worth of bonus is a year. And then it's sustained. It's not just a one time. That is your new pay rate uh, for time and eternal. So that's sort of how we think about it. But you have to, this is dictated by human nature and how humans react to pay and compensation and not my wishes. I would completely change this and do this differently if human emotions uh, and uh, that and cultural problems were not an issue uh, in the company or humans. So Marcus Royal, thank you so much. Gustavo. Uh, a new construction home blueprints. Do you delegate the bill of materials or do you figure it out yourself? Yeah, we've always figured it out ourselves. Uh, we have, um, we don't typically estimate the amount of materials needed. We have simplified everything into some unit pricing and uh, a new construction. We still sometimes will do a square foot pricing, but we don't do much new construction uh, on purpose. Uh, we kind of get put through the ringer like most people do. So we basically estimate the total price and then try to keep materials to 15%, give or take. Now, you bring up an interesting thing. I actually have a thought experiment up here uh, that got brought up in a, a painter Facebook group that we may be able to get to. And I'm going to show you how I think about it. Uh, John Penu, we're training our first project consultant. Could you give me some feedback in different commission models you've seen? Uh, yep, we just went through this thing, which is a base pay, uh, a perks and benefits, uh, and then a bonus structure. And typically, we've settled on a really transparent, simple, predictable bonus structure, which is um, once a job hits 45% gross profit, it is a bonusable job. And then they get a percentage of that revenue. And we form this because we want a typical compensation package to be 60 to 70, you know, 60 to 70 on the very low end. And I want people to be able to reach over six figures and that typical bonus structure for residential, residential repaint business for a business of our size with the subcontractors and W-2s we have, that's typically how we can get people to that. So we start with the end in mind about what is the market rate for this job and how can we divide that up between base and uh, bonus. I typically would like to see at least 50-50 between base pay and bonus pay because that's a huge incentive for people to do that. And, and if they do work longer days or extra days, they can actually see it in their bonus checks, things like that. All right, we'll do about 10 more minutes here. Mm, doo -doo -doo -doo. Robert Galensky, we picked up a pro shot yesterday. Can't wait to put it uh, through some materials. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful little machine. Uh, Jesse Vowles, what software for estimates? I've been using PaintScout for 13 months and still struggling to get my production rates dialed in. Um, yeah, so here's the deal. Um, 
when people struggle with estimating software, paint scout, estimate rocket, things like that, it's because it's the production rates, right? And that's our problem. Uh, you got to gather a ton of data. It's going to change all the time. That's why we don't do production rates because our production rates are all over the place here. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's all over the place here. Uh, so we went to a unit pricing based on job costing and data. So yeah, uh, we use G sheets, we make our own and we actually keep a matrix of prices and we track the success ratio of those. And then we uh, guide our prices, uh, price increases based on the success ratio. If we're not selling a lot, either we're not uh, giving a good value proposition or we're priced too high and we'll adjust the price uh, high or low and then see what we're doing here. So, all right, Jesse, Austin Schumacher, we'll have, uh, we'll get to you in just a second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Ponce from Instagram. Uh, thank you for the comment there. Novo painting. Good morning. My good friends at Novo, uh, big fans of you guys over there. All right. A couple more questions, guys. And I'm going to, I'm going to hop off here. Uh, I actually got an interview here uh, in a little bit. Do you have an SOP for painting garage doors? Yes, I do. Austin, uh, <laughs> of the many things, uh, you email me nick at nickslavic.com. And this is a super specific thing of exactly how to do the panels and what order, things like that. Nick at nickslavic.com. Remind me and I will send that to you. Uh, does Trello have a Gantt chart? Uh, not that we were able to use. Uh, Heidi, how's it going? You're welcome. <laughs> Justin Myers, thanks for the comment. Love that. Uh, recommendation on some paint. Fairmont painting. We just purchased warehouse space office plan to build a lot of spray booth area. Any advice? Yes. If you want it to be code compliant, uh, the spray booth will cost you six to $12,000. And depending on where you live, you might be in it for 20 to 50 more thousand dollars worth of electrical HVAC and a heater makeup or an air makeup unit in order to be code compliant. So do, do not ever let a spray booth company just sell you a spray booth without talking to your municipality first about what it actually takes to get it in there and be code compliant. And even fire suppression. You could be in it for another 10, 20 grand of fire suppression. So get a total estimate of what it's going to cost first before you just buy a spray booth. Also, don't expect spray booths to improve your finishes. It's more of a safety and professional feature than it is a improving of finishes. Because I've done, I mean, we do finishing on site all the time with no spray booth and it turns out world class. So, yep. All right. All right. Uh, any chances you could do a weekend class or seminar in my area of Orange County, New York, about an hour north of NYC? We have nothing available here. Actually, I've done these in the past in Northeast tours. So um, I've actually gone up there and seen my friend Mark McGrath uh, uh, or Mike McGrath and uh, Mark McGrath is a singer uh, and done this. So if you want a master's class in your area, absolutely. Uh, you get a hold of me. There's actually an email address of somebody at the PCA and you have my email address. If you want something in your area, we'll set it up. I love that area. And also, if we could ever couple that with a little bit of uh, possibly hunting or fishing or outdoor stuff up there in, in upstate New York, I would be all about that stuff. So, Mark, you have my ear. You have my personal email address. And let me know if that's something we can we can set up. All right. Back to uh, back to Instagram. All right. Right now, we got a ton of people watching on all the platforms. Share it, folks. Put it in your feed. Put it in your story. I'll do maybe one or two more questions and then we're calling it a weekend here. So I'm going to enjoy my snowy, wintry weekend here. So. All right, everybody. Uh, a couple in Instagram here, man. You guys are really kind this today. Thanks for all the questions here. So have you ever had issues with Google's taking down reviews? No. Um, in fact, 
well, maybe we have one client who screenshotted it, left us a great review with pictures and it doesn't show up on our end. I've heard that as many things. Also, we've had people who I don't know, who have never known my business, who just get on there and say something weird, give us a one-star review, completely confusing, no connection to them. And no matter what, we can't get it taken down. So I don't know how it works. You're obviously talking to some algorithm or AI or a robot, and there's no rhyme or reason. So I don't know. We just try to, we, our goal is to get at least two reviews a week so that, listen, three or four times a year, somebody's going to get on there and give you a one-star review. Maybe they're, uh, a couple of them might be earned by us, right? Nobody's perfect, but a lot of them are just weird stuff. Like, you know, people you've never heard of before are doing that. So our plan is moving on, just get a lot of good reviews and, uh, and we'll move on from there. So I think we got 180 reviews, 4.8, 4.9, give or take. I think there's three, four, one-star reviews, just random weirdness and, and, uh, yeah, stuff like that. So thanks for your tireless effort. Thank you very much. Great finishes. Uh, thank you for giving me your time. Always tune in. Thank you guys. Illusions painting, my good friends, uh, especially Juan over there. God, love you guys. Uh, love following your work there. How do you handle lead paint removal on older homes? How much does it increase the cost? How do you handle it? You get RRP certified and you follow that process. And especially the people who I've seen get raked over the coals by the EPA on that is mainly because of record keeping and not the actual lead paint process. So make sure that you guys are documenting images, following all the protocols, things like that. How much does it increase the cost of a job? It depends. I would I would estimate on a low end, 10 to 20%. On a high end, uh, 20 to 50%, depending on the prep needed, depending on the closeness of other homes, depending on the visibility of the job and things like that. So um, yeah, it's hard to say. Again, the way to solve that is do one, <laughs> job cost it and figure it out and track your time for the RRP stuff there. So uh, okay. All right. Thank you everybody for TikTok. We're going to shut you down here. I do appreciate you guys. I will be in, um, I will be in Florida, Orlando area with my good friend Tanner Mullen Monday. I will be in the Boston area Wednesday. I will be in Rhode Island area Thursday, all for master's classes, all for get togethers, uh, gathering of Florida painters, uh, Sherwin Williams pro shows, Benjamin Moore events, things like that. I'm hitting the road. I'm a road dog this week. And I really look forward to seeing all of you share the show. Go to Ask a Painter Live. Leave a nice review. You guys are absolutely awesome. I love spending my Saturday mornings and Friday mornings with you guys. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.